Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. Bring me shelter, please. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. I would shelter you. People would do anything for their families. It could happen to anyone anytime. Somebody in France, somebody in England basically sat down with a ruler and just drew lines on maps. There are many different ethnic and religious groups that have been divided across borders and this has caused a significant amount of conflict. There are a lot of people who need safety. It is really cruel for a country like Australia to have policies that are focused only on pushing people away. What we're seeing is a number of people that remain in a state of limbo. And when non-sustainable land use combines with climate change, the crisis of refugees... I wasn't able to go and play with children. I had to go and really be an adult from a very young age. I think that's something that a lot of migrant children can relate to. Really, it was a dream for me to reunite with my family. I was just praying and hoping that that day will come one day. I think it's very important for people to understand that people have their own dreams as well and they're wanting to change the world with everybody else. Refugee Radio, 855 AM, 3CR. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land who we are broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and respect the elders past, present and emerging and their ongoing struggle. Welcome to Refugee Radio this week on 3CR, listening on 855 AM or on 3cr.org.au. We're going to be listening to an episode of Refugees on Air, which is produced by the Student Youth Network, or SYN-FM. Enjoy. Hello everyone, you're listening to Refugees on Air. We're your hosts, Sarah. And Maya. Um, and today we've got Rocky on the line joining us. Rocky, it's really great to have you um, chat with us today. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to be a part of your program. Uh, no problem. First things first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from? Um, so I'm from Afghanistan. Both of my parents were born and raised there, but after their marriage, they moved to Iran in the hopes of creating a better life for themselves and their children. Me and my siblings were born in Iran, and we have a lot of good memories there as well as a lot of bad memories. But nevertheless, our hardworking parents have always taught us to be grateful for the things that we have and work hard for the things that we don't yet have. So I've always been a refugee in my life. I've never been to my hometown, which is Afghanistan. And when I was 11, I moved to Australia. So I've been here for about six or so years. But yeah, it's still challenging to get used to a brand new world because I always feel like, you know, I'm an outsider and I don't really fit in. But I really love it here. I love the fact that I can chase my dreams and have all the opportunities that I do to chase my dreams and achieve what I want to achieve. Mm, perfect. How was life like back in Iran, you know, those 11 years that you spent there? Tell us a bit about the education and, I guess, the different opportunities you had. Yeah, so Iran is a very small country with a very po big population. The population there is about... 82 million, I believe. So you can imagine there is a shortage of opportunities. It's really hard to reach your dreams, especially if you're not native there. 
as Persian people are always prioritized because they're native there, which makes it even harder for anyone from Afghan background to achieve something big. When I was there, Afghan people couldn't buy property, cars, or even a SIM card on their own name. Although there was no war in Iran, the fact that my family and I were Afghan made us subject to racism, bullying, and discrimination. I was always, um, you know, bullied for the differences that I've had, um, not only because I was from Afghan background, but also because I was a female and I had a darker skin than majority of my family members. So that was also another thing that made me subject to bullying. And we could barely walk down the streets without being called names. And this is all on personal experience. There was a lot of Persian people who were very, very nice to us and were very friendly. So again, despite all the racism and discrimination, we looked at the positive side, which was the fact that there was no war in Iran and we were safe. So you said that you faced discrimination and racism for being an Afghan in, in Iran. How did that make you and your family feel, and especially hearing the news that you'll be migrating to Australia? So, to be honest, I didn't really know Australia existed. The only country I knew of was America, Afghanistan, and Iran. And because of my lack of education, I didn't know anything else. So I didn't really feel anything until I got here. And I was expecting the worst treatment of Australian people because I thought to myself that if people in Iran who share the same religion in me and sometimes the same language in me as me discriminate against me, why would people who have a completely different world be nice to me? And I had that mindset for a very long time. I was really terrified. But to my surprise, Australia was nothing really like my expectations and people didn't ride kangaroos to school like I was told to. <laughs> But in general, so living in Iran was pretty difficult because of the fact that no matter how hard we worked, no matter what we did in our life, we could never get higher. We were just stuck in the place that we were. Like, as I mentioned before, we couldn't really get like a SIM card or buy property at all. And usually when you do want to buy something, you would buy it on a friend's name who is Persian. And because that property or that SIM card or whatever you have is under their name, they could easily take it away from you. So it's a like, really, really difficult way of living, knowing that you're always like underneath the other people and that if there was an opportunity, even if you worked really hard for it, you'll still not be considered if there's other people. But we made it. We're here now and we're doing good. Wow. So, you know, obviously there's a contrasting difference between um, you living in Iran and Australia. But what was like your first impression of, of Australian culture and what was the first thing that you felt when you um, stepped onto Australian soil? So when I came here, Australia looked like a cartoon to me. It seemed like the houses, were, like the houses that we used to draw as kids, come to life. Like I never seen houses like this before because the houses in Iran were made out of bricks and the structures were completely different. And I never seen roads so perfectly made or streets so quiet and silent with like barely anyone walking around screaming or fighting almost felt like a dream like a whole new world I could say but then within a few days with all the glory that I had here I uh, missed Iran and I missed like where I was I missed my friends and my sister and my nieces and everything I was so used to and it took a long time but eventually I got used to Australia and I really can't describe how happy I was no longer being the poor Afghan girl in the street but being treated as an equal by the people around me and by my peers, and which is something that I hope my family and I hoped for since very, very long time. Um, I saw a lot of, like, I met a lot of new people in Australia, in school and in the community, and 
I know that Australia has amazing people. You know, sometimes people ask me if I experience racism in Australia, and the answer is yes. Like, I always want to think about the positive sides of everything, but unfortunately, we live in a world where everyone is still judged because of their differences, and everyone is still discriminated against, and we have a very, very long way to go to make an ideal world. But I know the journey to a perfect world is impossible, so the best we can do is actually see the positive and fight for what's right, because even if it doesn't become a perfect world, it can still become better like anything in life. It's really inspiring to see how you how you've transitioned into, you know, a more optimistic outlook on things, especially at such a young age as well. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you so much. It is it is difficult when like all you know in your life is like having difficulties, but eventually you learn that the best thing you can do, like if you don't have any other option, is just to be happy with what you have. You've mentioned to me before that you're actually one of nine siblings. Um, what's everyday life like in your house? Um, are you the eldest of all of them? I'm not the oldest. I'm the sixth child. And to be honest, life is very, very great with my siblings. In particular, with my three younger siblings, who are always, always so joyful and fun to be around. And whenever I have a problem, I don't really need to talk to them about the problem. Like I don't need to tell them what's wrong. I just need to see them and hang out with them and suddenly all my stresses go away. They're honestly like my biggest blessing in life and I love having so many siblings, so many people I can annoy and <laughs> so many people I can help and I feel like life without them will actually be colorless. We didn't always have a good relationship though, but like being in quarantine for the past three months has really helped me look within myself and understand what really makes me happy, which is the relationship that I built with my siblings and my family. I'm very, very protective over them, though. Like, whenever they do something, I'm always like, no, it's not right, you should do this, you should do that. But it's only because I want the best for them. But sometimes I do understand that they have to learn by themselves. I always try to, like, show them the right pathway, the right way to go. But often it's them who are showing me the right pathway. So it's like a two-way relationship. We help each other, and I really love having them around. It's lovely to hear how supportive you are of um, your sisters and your siblings. So... Is it fair to say that that's kind of when you started to feel passionate about, you know, education and specifically girls' education? Or was there like a specific moment in your life that really made you um, think, I really need to stand up for, for this um, issue? I feel like I've always been passionate about education, especially education for girls. And not only because I had a lot of sisters who I wanted the best for them and I wanted the best opportunities for them. But it was only because I only went to school for one year in Iran and I started later than most. Um, so I'm really, really grateful that my parents actually believed in girls' education. Around about 90% of the girls that I knew couldn't go to school because their parents and the people around them made them feel like it wasn't necessary for them because of their gender. And while their brothers went to school and the other 10% of the girls who did go to school were forced to drop out after primary school, like including my older sister and myself if I was still in Iran. It, it really made me frustrated. Like I really didn't know what to do because I knew that I wanted something bigger in my life, something more than just following rules set for me by the males around me. And I wanted to be my own person, set my own rules, and I knew my education was the only thing that could do that for me. So I studied really, really hard and I always got the highest score in class. And even in grade one, I taught myself to read like grade five books and my teachers were always surprised. They were always asking me if I went to a different school. 
this was because I was preparing to read G5, which was the final year of primary school in Iran, and somehow convinced the people around me that I needed to stay in school and that I was capable of staying in school and having further studies. And I was really, really tired of seeing boys being enrolled in schools, although they weren't really interested. This includes my brothers as well. One of my brother who was enrolled in a school, but he never really actually went to school. And I really, I was thinking to myself that that money that was used to go to waste where he didn't want to go to school, I could have been going to school, my sisters could have been going to school, and my, and it would be easier for us in the future. Um, it seemed like their families and everyone around them didn't see that passion, like no one saw the talent that they had, no one saw the determination that they had to grow and become better people. And But I felt like I saw their passion and I felt like I saw the talent that they have because I felt the same way growing up. And I always told my parents that one day I'll be able to give those girls and other girls like me a chance to be educated and a chance to be independent by becoming a teacher. So that was one of my biggest goals when I was younger. I really wanted to become a teacher because I really felt like teachers have this big superpower that can actually transform people's lives. But the biggest moment that made me realize that I was passionate about girls' education was when um, a very, very good friend of mine told me that she will be dropping out of school. And it, it came as a shock to me because she was so incredibly good at her studies and everything that she did, and she was really passionate. And she mentioned to me that she was getting married at only, I think she was 14 at that time. She said she was getting married to the guy who would pay for her brother's education, which was an even more of a shock to me. And I just thought that that it was the most unfairest thing to do to someone who's who loves what they're doing. And this talented girl was giving up basically her entire life and he, her entire passion, her entire future for her brother's future. And I really thought that was unfair because I thought that her, her brother wanted to work hard. There would be other ways to make them both go to school and achieve their dreams other than sacrificing one's future for another. This I think this was also when I started being passionate about fairness and justice and equality for people and all genders, especially girls. And I wasn't really sure what I could do with this spark inside me, but I felt like God knew. <laughs> because very shortly after that, what she told me, we found out that we were we got accepted to come to Australia where like a lot of brand new doors of opportunities opened up to me and my entire family, which was like full of supportive people, um, people with a lot of knowledge and a lot of ideas to share. And I think when you think about justice, equality and fairness, it seems like such a cliche thing for someone to say they're passionate about. But a lot of people who don't even say this are passionate about it. And you can see this when you see the pain in someone's eyes when they see someone being mistreated or you can hear it in their voice when they talk about something that's really important to them. And you can see their passion through, most importantly, their actions and the things that they do. So I think all humans... Uh, passionate about fairness and equality and justice but some people just talk about it more often mm, yeah and is that um we can tell that you're, you're extremely passionate about equality and and all things justice so is that can you would you say that this is one of the reasons why you decided to join the center for multicultural youth 
It definitely is, yes. So the way I joined Centre for Multicultural Youth was I was volunteering for another organisation which was called Vic SRC, which is Victorian Student Representative Council. And basically what that was is every year they hold a big annual camp and where anyone from Victoria, any student in high school can apply to become a member of the community, but only 15 students are chosen by the students. So I was lucky enough to be a part of that group. And because I was a part of that group, they gave me a lot of opportunities to expand my public speaking and my leadership. And there was one event, there was a one government event where I was talking about my experiences and the CEO of CMY was actually there. And she, after the event, she came up to me and she said, you know, I really like your story and I really like the way you presented it. I hope you can apply for CMY. And she explained to me what CMY was. And it was really, really interesting to me. So I did apply and I got in and it was pretty interesting because when I got in, I was, I think I was only 15 at that time and everyone else was over 18 because the organization was originally meant to give platform for over 18 people and most of them could drive and go to places and go to different events, but I couldn't. So I, I could only participate in like limited amount of public speaking events and what events that they had offered. But CMY is such, such a great uh, organization that inspires other people especially refugees and immigrants to share their stories and make life a little bit less harder or like enable people to struggle a little bit less when they come to Australia because I know like having experience coming to Australia as a refugee is really really difficult to blend in the community so I think they're doing such a great job and I've been a part of CMY ever since so it's been about three years and I love it every time I do an event, it's just really, really exciting and I'm really happy, especially when I talk to people after the event and they seem so so excited and I get a lot of messages, a lot of amazing messages that, that tell me that I really inspired them, which is one of the reasons why I do what I do. Yeah, they really give um, kind of a community for youth who might feel like they're an outsider when they come to a new country um, and you speaking about it just shows how important these organisations are to um, everyone. Yeah, and... Um, I know for a fact that means are very supportive of the work they do and we follow all their social media accounts and keep up to date with the advocacy and the campaigns that they run. So yeah, it's it's definitely like organizations like like these are extremely important. You speaking about the um education system in Iran and how you felt towards it, it must have been a bit of kind of a, a good shock when you came to Australia um how did you you know think about the education system here how did you find it going through it personally when I came here and I discovered that in Australia everyone must go to school until they're nine and ten that made me really happy then that meant that I no longer had to fight for my education that it was just a right that I was giving so that was very very exciting and I was really really happy about it and so what happened when I did come to Australia I only studied one year as I mentioned before in Iran and then when I came to Australia, they put me in E5, and it was about term four in E5. So that was pretty difficult because, you know, I skipped four years of education, and then I also didn't know how to speak English. And then I felt like like by the time I go in high school, I wouldn't know any, anything that other people would know, like the things that they learned like prior to E5. But it wasn't, it wasn't really that hard. Like, I studied really hard at the start, but... You know, if you study really hard, then you, you can catch up. Like, I felt like I caught up in those those four years really, really quickly because I had, like, so many supportive people around me. So that was amazing. And uh, education in Australia, I sometimes I felt like it wasn't really catering, catering to people from different cultural backgrounds. 
but that was because I came in 2012 where there wasn't much refugees and there wasn't much awareness about refugees and people from different cultural backgrounds. But nowadays I see that there's a lot more awareness. A lot of people know about what they've been through and a lot of people know a lot of refugee stories. So that's that really helps the education system to better cater for their needs. Um, and what you talk about how um, when you first came, they weren't able to sort of cater for you, but now... Um, we've seen a lot of improvements in the in the education system, especially in VCE. Um, I'm not a teacher; I'm just a student. But personally, being provided a class such as an English as an additional language class or that additional support um, in different classes, especially for younger year levels as well, has been kind of really, really good to be able to recognize the differences and help pe- everyone get to you know the same level. Yeah, it definitely helps. Yeah, when I came here, there wasn't, we didn't have English as audition and language classes, so that was a bit difficult. I know that has helped a lot of my new new friends who came to Australia recently, and it's been really great that they have a lot of more support for them and they can blend in in the school quicker. Where do you see yourself in the future? What do you see yourself doing? Currently, I'm studying a Bachelor of International Studies and I hope to become a human rights lawyer one day in the future. And I, in the future, I want to be able to travel travel a lot of different places and experience all the beautiful things that this world has and can offer. Um, I want to learn about different cultures and different people and what makes them who they are. And one day when I retire, I think this is really interesting, when I tell my friends, they were like, what? I would never expect you to say that. But when I retire, I want to live somewhere very far away in like a small town and small farm with lots of cows and sheep and horses and dogs and all that good thing. And I feel like I feel like life is a movie. And I think it's so much beautiful when Mother Nature plays the biggest role in in it. And most importantly, I see myself doing something that makes me happy, something that provides support and helps people from multicultural backgrounds to reach their full potential and do something that makes them happy. And I'm so grateful and really believe everything happens for a reason. So I will follow whatever makes me happy and I know you'll help me reach somewhere good. Just to sort of give back to the community and and help others who have helped you along the way. Definitely. Uh, what advice would you give to someone who has recently moved to Australia? I feel like most like immigrants and refugees are so resilient and so hardworking, and so I don't really think they need any advice. But an advice that I could give them would be to you know open up and take every single opportunity that knocks on your door. Like don't be scared and just embrace your differences because. You are what makes Australia so great, the differences that you have and the cultures that you share with Australian people and the community. And just never forget your lived experiences because um, those lived experiences really make you who you are. But one other thing is like, don't forget like your experiences, but at the same time, don't let those experiences define who you are and who you can become. Just use those experiences to build a stronger you, to build a better future for yourself, and because, you know, I really believe and I think a lot of people believe that all people are worthy of all the good things in this world.
What advice would you give our listeners on how to make newly arrived migrants in Australia feel more welcome? Uh, maybe is there something that you kind of wish was in place for you when you first arrived here? I think I think it's so simple to make someone feel welcome. Just be nice to them. Like never judge a book by its cover is like a thing that we hear a lot because the stories written within those books are lived experiences beyond what people can imagine. And some of these people, like I feel like they thought dragons and monsters to get here. So give them a chance to show themselves, ask about their stories, empathize with them and don't make them feel like they're smaller than you because of their differences. I feel like the best thing you can do is to learn about their culture, their religion, um, their passion and hopes for the future and just provide a friendly face who they can seek help from. And one thing that I've been, I've seen more of today that I wish was in place when I came here is, I mentioned before as well, but it's like multicultural events that like invite a person of different backgrounds to speak about their experiences. Like I feel like CMY plays a very, very big role in Victoria about this and I think the differences that public speakers made in my life were really really extraordinary it really inspired me to work harder to, to do something bigger and I think when I first came here I didn't really have the most biggest dream like the only thing I wanted to do at that time was just to finish my studies because I felt like that was so important but when I saw people from different cultures different backgrounds that they've been here for a while and they know Australia and they know the system and they talk to me about their experiences and everything that they achieved. It really made me even more passionate about the things that I kind of pushed to to the side because I felt like they weren't, they weren't uh, achievable. And just the fact that they shared their stories with me really made me want to share my story as well and uh, made me feel like, like if they can do it, then I can do it as well. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm sure our listeners really appreciate all the advice that you've provided and, and more importantly, the story that you've shared with us. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to add? I just want to say thank you to you guys for doing this program. I think it's such, such a wonderful uh, thing to do where you have a platform to make a difference in other people's life and share other people's stories. So it's really great. And thank you so much for having me in your program. It's been really wonderful and I really, really appreciate it. That's okay. Uh, thank you. I'm really glad that we could finally do this. Um, one more question, though. When you mentioned Vic SRC, did you go to the 2017 camp? Yes, I was. Were you? Oh, my God. I was there, too. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was so shy and awkward, and I... And I went just with one, like two other people from my school that I didn't really know very well. And it was such an amazing experience. And I, I wish we met each other back then, but we didn't. Oh, yeah. I wish we met each other back then, too. That would have been so great. We've probably seen each other around, though, because I was executive in 2016 and 2017. Because when I kind of saw your story on CMY and I've heard of you for a long time, I was just like, I know her, but I don't know her. Um, but yeah, but now, now everything kind of makes sense. You've been listening to Refugee Radio on 3CR and we were listening to an episode of Refugees on Air produced by CNFM. We've played a bunch of their episodes before and they're really amazing. So we will play some more in the future, but that's all we've got time for this week. So next week we'll be playing a special on Nakba for the Palestinian people. Thanks for listening. There's kind of a lot of 
a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those how those function. If we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very, very sort of different forms and very you know important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture of normative, heteronormative family life, but how so many of the of the affordances or the restrictions or the kind of the, the government governmental sort of imagining of the way that we should live and what we need to live and what we need to survive really is shaped around heteronormativity. You know, it's around the family life in the suburb, as opposed to many, you know, single individuals who have shared queer family both sexual and community connections that sustain them and that kind of give them give them life and give them give them sort of energy and comfort and safety and security and support you're listening to 3cr community radio 855 am on digital and online 3cr radical radio Salam Habibi. Salam Habibti. This is Marushti and Lukman from Salam Radio Show. Tune in on Sundays from 4 till 5 p.m. on 3CR for some modern Arabic mazika. Salam Radio Show will be bringing you every week a search of new modern and reinterpreted sounds of Arabic mazika ranging from trap, rap, hip-hop, pop, R&B, experimental, ambient, and electronic music. Yalla habaybna. Shunatrin. Join us every Sunday on Salam Radio Show. Mainstreaming Arabic mazika. Salam alaikum. Salam alaikum. Salam